0: Hi, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Neil. I'm part of KXE. Um, I have been pretty much since the start, uh, week two, I think it is, but um, so the start. Um, But yeah, we're in between teaching series at the minute. So Pete asked me if I'd like to share and I said, yeah, and here we are. And uh, as I was um, making some notes on my phone, I was just kind of jotting down um, different ideas. I thought, you know, I'd email it to myself so that I'd have it on the laptop and then kind of develop it further. And it reminded me of a time that I was applying for um, the job that I currently have, which is um, uh, London City Missionary. And the application was pretty intense and pretty in depth, and it required me to be quite vulnerable and honest. And um, so I, I wrote a lot about my struggles and my Christian journey. And um, yeah, uh, I, I emailed it to um, Neil Gillespie at gmail.com. But my email address is NE Gillespie. Gmail.com. So some chap with the same name as myself received a really bizarre email about my friendship with Jesus. And I kind of thought, what should I do? Should I email him and kind of explain it? Or should I just leave it and see what happens? It might be some sort of weird sort of evangelistic kind of thing. But um, um, yeah, I, I just decided to leave it. And then he emailed me the next day. And I was like, okay. And um, it was quite formal. Um, he, he said, hi Neil, I've had a look at what you sent me. And, um, and I've made a few suggestions. And, um, and he, he said, you know, there was a fair bit of spelling and, and grammar error. So I have, um, I've kind of sorted those out in red. Um, and I hope this helps. Yours, Neil Gillespie. And... Um, and um, Yes, it, it massively helped, actually, because I got shortlisted, I started the interview process, and I got the job, and, and, and here I am. Um, so I was kind of thinking, maybe I should send him my notes for this talk, and then he could kind of tidy them up and make some sense of them. Um, yeah, so with LCM, I lead a small team in the area, really to immerse ourselves in the marginalized community, to establish like genuine, authentic friendships, Um, with those in the margins and we do this in order to make the love of christ known Um, and we run a few drop-ins one in camden one in king's cross and um, we're involved in hostel visits and and occasional hospital visits and we also are involved in the prison ministry with caris here at kxc um yeah and working with a lot of humans and being one um is one thing that we definitely all share, and it's the need for pillars of support. By which I mean constants in our life that kind of give us stability. Things such as family and health and job and house and church community and relationships. And, and you know, many in the marginalized community don't have um, a lot of pillars of support. And, you know, most of us, like, if something were maybe to happen, we'd have other pillars to kind of bring stability to our lives to compensate for that. An example in my own life was when I was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2014. And, you know, it was a really, really big shock. No one expects that. It was a huge shock for for Karen, my wife, and it was a huge shock for my, my family and my friends. But I had all of those things. Um... And those groups of people providing the stability and love alongside treatment and incredible health care, you know, four months later I was out the other side and kind of back to the normality of life. And it's very common that those in the marginalized community will have experienced something like monumentally terrible, a major incident that kind of causes a pillar to to collapse. And you know, they are called trigger points or crisis points but i think um guy jack uh, jack london who wrote a book in 1903 called the people of the abyss um, about homelessness in london in in like the early you know 1900s incredible he calls it the thing um quite simply then the thing happened and the thing leads to trauma a definition of trauma, trauma being the result of an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds one's ability to cope And when people can't cope, we find things to help us cope. We self-medicate. And um, often for the people in the marginalized community, they find the reality of their lives too difficult. Um, So the option to numb that reality is, is understandable. And it's obvious that coping mechanisms are drastic. And the result is the monster of dependency gets fed and it grows and it gets fed and it grows. And look, I'm not an expert on addiction, but I am friends with a lot of addicts. And it seems to me that the problem isn't drinking or using. I mean, yes, it's a problem, but it's not actually the problem. They're all attempts to solve problems. And all of us try to solve problems with problems. Maybe not as extreme as crack. Um, Russell Brand says this, Addiction is when natural biological imperatives like the need for food, sex, relaxation, or status become prioritized to the point of destructiveness. It is exacerbated by a culture that understandably exploits this mechanic, as it's a damn good way to sell Mars bars and Toyotas. In my own blessedly garish addiction, each addictive pursuit has been an act of peculiar faith that the action will solve a problem. Um, last week Emma had a, a rat's anecdote in her talk and it was exceptional so I feel like I should put one in mine. Um, and there was a fascinating uh, bit of research done on addiction. It was done by psychologist uh, Bruce K Alexander who led the rat park study in 1978. And a rat was placed in a cage with two dispensers, one with plain water and one with morphine-laced water, essentially diluted heroin. And the rat got addicted to the morphine, and died. Brutal. It was the 70s. Um, A second study was done whereby a rat was placed in a cage with other rats this time, free to play and run about and go on little wheels and go down little chutes, free to mate, a sort of kind of rat park. And the same two dispensers were there, and interestingly, the rat didn't take or get addicted to the morphine-laced liquid. And the hypothesis was this, that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I suppose from um, a theological perspective, we know that this connection from God creates all sorts of problems for mankind, right? Right? Like sin is ultimately a disconnection from God. Yes, individual bad choices, but also a condition or an illness or a way collectively whereby humanity misses the mark. Humanity going in a different direction than was ever intended. Deciding for itself what's good, what's evil, what's just, what's not. Who's in, who's out. What matters, what doesn't. And as Pete often reminds us, God repeatedly says to the people of Israel, I will be your God, you will be my people, I'm the source of light and life, and if you stay close to me, if you stay in relationship with me, you will receive life. But if you disconnect yourself with me, you will no longer be in relationship or connected to the source of life, so you'll ultimately face death. How can I impart my vitality? How can you receive it? How can you flourish if you disconnect from me? Humanity needs to stay connected to stay well. Um, Brenny Brown says, without connection, pain and suffering is always present. So what is this ultimate connection? Is it a thing? Is it real? What does it look like? And it's one word, shalom. Shalom. And uh, the Hebrew word shalom appears over 500 times in scripture, but it's often, as we know, translated as peace, which is great, but it's not enough. Um, Peace could be understood as the absence of conflict. And shalom carries so much more than that. Uh, Cornelius Plantinga, Um, says this, shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. Shalom, in other words, is the thing, is the way things ought to be the full flourishing of human life in all aspects as God intended it to be. Perfect connection, completeness, harmony, well-being, balance and delight, all of these things. And we come across this clearly, the beginning in Genesis, as God creates mankind, and in perfect balance and harmony with himself, God says it's good, completely good, that lacks nothing, that lacks lack, itself and uh, so there are four components to this word shalom Um, being in perfect harmony and connection in four areas God each other self and the earth but as sin enters the story in Genesis we see a fracture of all these things Adam and Eve hide from God. So that perfect relationship between humanity and God breaks. Guilt enters the story. They turn on each other. Adam blames Eve. Cain kills Abel. So Shalom with each other is fractured. And blame and death enter the story. They are no longer at peace with themselves. They experience shame and cover their bodies and shame enters the story. And finally, the earth god curses the grounds that weeds and thorns make it difficult to produce crops. So mankind's relationship with the earth is fractured and struggle and difficulty enter the story. And I wonder for us, where's the greatest sense of disconnect or, or distance with these four areas? Where do you feel the greatest sense of lack of shalom? Is it with God? Pete, in the last series, Uprising, uh, covered so much ground with his incredible insight on the gravitational pull of disconnection and a lack of intimacy with Jesus and gave wisdom and guidance on that. If you haven't heard it, listen to it. Um, Is is that you? Is there a disconnect with God? Is it with each other? Is there a fracture of um, a relationship with someone? family, peers, colleagues, people in the present or people in the past? Do you need to revisit or start a process of forgiveness? Or is there a distance kind of generally with others, like a remoteness when it comes to others in society that are maybe different, the poor, the elderly, youth in London? Maybe yourself. Do you have a disconnection with yourself? Do you... Do you know yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you need to forgive yourself? And then there's the earth. Um, The very obvious denial of the planet that we're living in, the relentless kind of draining of finite resources. And during Anna's talk in the same series, uh, she touched on consumerism and individualism and prioritizing self over others at the expense of the planet. Is there a righteous anger kind of stirring up in you about the lack of shalom with god's creation or do do we give it much thought at all i know i need to press into that more so for me um what massively affects i don't know all of these but probably like mainly connection with myself and others is anxiety and I imagine that there are many others in the room um, that you know are with me on that. Um, in the UK, over 20% of people rate their anxiety levels um, higher than six out of ten. So it's one in five in this room. So it affects many. And for me, it's it's not so much about worry or nervousness. Like I feel like that can be a misunderstanding of anxiety. It's more of like a frequency that's there, a rumble. Under the surface and it increases and it decreases and it ebbs and flows. Sometimes gets choppy and sometimes stills out. And most things contribute, it, contribute to it in some way. For better, kind of for worse, big and small. Um, and a problem linked to it is I have i um, I'll fixate and I'll ruminate um, on something. A thought, an incident conversation and I'll cling to it, I'll dwell on it and it's debilitating because it doesn't allow you to be present and if you can't be present in a moment that obviously affects your connection with self and others. For me two tools that have massively helped me in this is um, firstly the Enneagram um, without going into it as much as I would love to um, it's essentially a personality um, model, but it's, it's more than that. I know people don't get, like to be labeled. Uh, there's a lot of movement in it. Um, and uh, I find it incredibly helpful for obtaining a little bit more knowledge and grace for myself and other people. Um, I'm a type 9, um, the peacemaker, or more accurately, the peacekeeper. Um, unity is very important to me. Protecting a sense of inner calm and outer calm is a big deal for me. Hence why I wanted to share my thoughts on shalom because it appeals to my nineness a lot. And the second tool that's um, radically helped me is, is mindfulness and contemplative prayer. Um, the spiritual discipline of silence and being fully present with the Spirit of God Without necessarily engaging with with thoughts and words and distraction, and London does not, by design, does not gift you the privilege of silence. You have to work quite hard to obtain it. Life is on; it's on, as you know. It's constant. It's relentless. And when the busyness of your day is over, you might, you know, hit the pillow, close your eyes. Your brain's still on. And there's this great resource called Take Time. Um, It's Ignatian Meditation, which sounds fancy because it rhymes. Um, But it's basically guided meditations uh, based on a single passage in scripture um, whereby you're kind of led through and you imagine and visualize what's going on with the text. And it takes a wee bit of time to get used to. Uh, It's a bit cheesy at first. Um, The audio is picture yourself. Walking with Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. <coughs> um, I love it. I, I absolutely love it a <coughs> lot. And there's always this bit where you're invited to sit down with Jesus and you picture him saying your name. And this one time I was going through a difficult patch and, um, and just hearing Jesus say my name floored me like it got me. It brought me to tears. It was incredible. It was shalom. It was connectedness. It was intimacy. And it's in Jesus we find the full embodiment of shalom. Paul writes in Colossians, For all things were created by him, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. For God was pleased to have all of his his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Isaiah writes 700 years before Jesus, this almighty prophetic announcement of the, the coming of this embodiment of Shalom. It says, it's a Christmas one. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, Oh, and by the way, um, one thing that's quite apparent is that injustice and shalom can't share the same space. Um, the message translation of Isaiah 57 says, Peace to the far off, peace to the near, near at hand, says God, and yes, I will heal them. But the wicked or storm-battered seas that can't quiet down. The waves stir up garbage and mud. There's no peace, says God, for the wicked... And I can't and won't try to put it any better than Martin Luther King who said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah. So if a key attribute of shalom is justice, then injustice and shalom cannot share the same space so for me it 's with um, just a more expansive view and understanding of Shalom that some of the verses that talk about peace just come alive and take on this new significance for me john fourteen twenty seven peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And the the Orthodox Jewish Bible states as, Shalom Hashem, I leave with you, my shalom I give to you. In other words, my state of perfect connection and balance and harmony with all things, I I give to you, I make available to you, and the world cannot. The world will say, this is how you connect. See the gap in your life, it's because of this. So do this, and you'll feel connection. Buy this, and you'll be connected. Look at this, you'll be connected. Act like this, and you'll be Connected. But Jesus says, no, my shalom, I give to you, not as the world gives. So, yeah, as we approach the end, like, um, I've got a, um, a little story that I just want to share about a guy. Um, I used to work in Weber Street Day Centre, um, which is a London City Mission project on in Waterloo. Um, and got to know this this one guy um, uh, from lithuania very very well and he was uh, street homeless and he used the day center every day um and we actually shared a birthday um on the same year as well 86 um and he also had the same shoe size as me maybe not as coincidental um uh but we my my shoes that i hadn't i finished with i kind of passed them on to him and we had a bit of a connection but he was the most exceptional table, t- table tennis player too but um over a few years luke and i got to know him um you know, very well, uh, entered into, yeah, what felt like a meaningful and authentic relationship. And, um, we often listened to him, comforted him, um, give advice, practically helped, but then he would maybe be barred for a spell from the project we wouldn't see him and it was kind of turbulent. Um, but he grew up in an, uh, in an orphanage and had a, had a really, really sad story. Um, he was a big, big boozer, really heavy drinker, um, was very severe, um, self harmer as well, and there was this thing i don 't know if it 's still the case down there, but there's this thing that a lot of um, guys were doing it was a, the street name was It's basically going into hospitals and taking the hand sanitizer um, off walls and then mixing it because of the alcohol content, but the chemicals in that stuff you know like um, so it 's pretty serious but um, there was one there was one day and, and he was actually he was barred actually, so um, he was on the other side of the gate, and Luke and I were, were up at the gate. And I'll, I'll never forget it. He um, was really upset. He was blaming us for stuff. And he, um, he produced a razor blade and cut himself so incredibly, like, deeply. And the thing is, I remember it just being so quick. It happened so, so quick. And uh, we rang, uh, you know, 999. Um, we got a clean towel um, upstairs, or from upstairs. And, and he sat on the pavement and just this pool of, of blood just was expanding. And... Um, the ambulance came and I remember they just parked up the road and I was like what are they doing like staying way up there so I ran ran up the road I was like what are you doing you know come on and they were like oh you reported that he had a blade so we need to wait until the police arrive because um you know it could be used as a weapon I was like he used it against himself like he's not you know um so yeah that was happening and felt like forever until the police arrived and, and basically he um, yeah, in, a, in an ambulance, uh, went to the hospital, received treatment. But subsequently, he actually then was found out didn't have the papers to be here, and he got deported to, to back to Lithuania. And, and yeah, we didn't we didn't see him again. So um, it's like right, okay. Um, and sadly, it happens quite a lot with people we know. Just a, a sudden, drastic kind of loss of connection with someone, and that's it. Uh, but three years later, Luke receives this Facebook message. And it's this guy. And he writes this really long message about his story since, you know, going back to Lithuania, so over the past three years. And what had happened was he went and he was on the streets in Lithuania. Um, he was using, um, but he came into connection with a local church, like a community Baptist church. And he, he got clean. And he, um, yeah, he became a Christian. Um, he got in touch with his family with his sister again and he actually started to work for the church in helping other addicts on the streets in lithuania and i just find it the most incredible you know example of the restorative nature of shalom like it's actually real like (laughs) um like for him all this pain and disconnection changed You know, coming into connection and relationship with God again, choosing to follow Jesus, being reconciled to his family, his sister, finding meaningful relationship and finding connectedness in this new church family and finding belonging there, forgiving himself, making peace with himself, stopping the self harm, receiving purpose and identity by now helping others. It's incredible. Here's a great quote. Shalom is a hint of what was, what should be, and what will one day be again. Where sin disintegrates and isolates, shalom brings together and restores. Where fear and shame throw up walls and put on masks, shalom breaks down barriers and frees us from the pretense of our false selves. Yeah, shalom brings together and restores. And I would love this radical transformation to be a regular and an instant thing, you know. And it can, it does happen, but it's so often long and slow and up and down, and it was for our, for our friend. Um, Randy S. Woodley says, Shalom is not a utopian destination, it's a constant journey. And in our own lives and the lives of others, we need to celebrate any and every example of restoration, any move towards wellness, and any hint of reconciliation. Tim Keller says, When anything heals, the rupture and closes the gap between us and God, there should be a celebration, a joyful meal in God's presence. So I suppose if the kingdom is God's perfect and abundant rule and reign, and its king is Christ... The manifesto is shalom, and we are invited to be agents of it and participators in it. May our prayer be that of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Let's dance.